Hello. This is Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice, with me, Michael Kuehl. And me, Roger Bell-West. And uh, this month we're going to be talking to one of the luminaries of the British role-playing scene. We're going to be considering our timing, which is the secret of good... Um, one of those things. Thing, thing, you know, thing. Uh, we'll be discussing some strange things happening in the alleged uh, real world and the future of the future of role-playing publishing. Does it have one? Probably. This is another instalment of Weirdness from Real Life. Specifically, Japanese ghost ships. Uh, I think you mean ghost ships in Japan. Well, that's how it was reported. Um, over the past couple of months, at least 12 wooden boats have been found adrift on or near the Japanese coast, yeah. containing the decaying bodies of at least 22 people. It, uh, presumably they were at the point where it was a bit difficult to figure out how many people there were on. Um, well, you, on can do, you can do a fair bit with skeletons. and It's pretty much usually one skull per person. Um, well, so some of these boats had lettering indicating that they were the property of the North Korean People's Army. Uh -huh. So, okay, there's an obvious true explanation for this, that they were North Koreans trying to fish for squid, and or escape to Japan. Yeah. And this does happen every year, apparently it's just made the news this year. Fair enough. But, alright, what, what other explanations are there? Why were quite a lot of them without their heads? Yeah, that does break your one scalper person rule, doesn't it? Okay, well, perhaps they had, um... Hmm. If I wanted to get thoroughly weird, I'd start thinking about things that cause people's heads to explode. Mm hmm Intel parasites um, growing inside people's heads, which then explode outwards and scatter across the oceans. I get these terrible headaches. Yeah. What they're all doing on the same boat together. Well, obviously, as we have suspected for some time now, North Korea is badly infested by the brain eaters. And it would explain a lot. It would, wouldn't it? And therefore they've got um the 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 rulership are keeping the people of North Korea in North Korea because out of concern for the rest of the human race, a benevolent concern for the rest of the human race, they're trying to keep, um, but the, the malevolent brain eaters are trying to get away from North Korea and are only getting out to sea and then their heads are exploding and scattering across the waters. Does that make us horrible? I wish I hadn't thought of that. Mm. Also, of course, there's the question of why, why are they skeletal? Because you know, that, that implies they've been drifting around for at least a couple of months, which is entirely possible. How long does it take? Uh, it depends on the environment. And w let's assume seabirds. Okay. That, so, uh, yeah. Seabirds are hungry. Maybe there are new and especially hungry seabirds. Oh, the and birds at sea, the Korean remake. Now, it, it's obviously not stuff in the water because they tip over the boat and just take the whole body. Yeah. But for birds, that works. So, or, of course, they're a vector. Who's a vector? The bodies. Because what, what are you going to do? You're, you're going to take take them to a, um, a forensic lab or mortuary site or something like that. So you're going to try to find out what's wrong with them. Yeah. So that's where you put your interesting long latency biological substances. Oh, Roger. Because that's... because the because it won't survive outside a vaguely viable human body. Yeah. Okay. Or you know, zombie plague, whatever, depending on genre. That's nasty. How about how about actually how about how about this as as a setting? I I don't know what it is, but you are attempting to flee North Korea. You have a boat. You have the means of getting out there, and then you discover there's something worse out there than the uh, North Korean People's Workers' Party or whatever it is they call themselves. That would make a very nasty little scenario, and I wish I hadn't thought of that one as well. Now I'm picturing the thing on a lifeboat. Ooh, yeah. But why only North Korea? Why only those particular waters? It does suggest that there, there are a cause or source of it, yeah. Mm. Maybe it's a new, new, particularly gruesome form of punishment, except that they would never hear about these guys washing up in Japan. Yeah. So it doesn't really discourage the others. Okay, what else you got? Uh, 
Another thing that was drifting around in December was the suggestion that Alistair Crowley was the grandfather of George W. Bush. This all right, would, all right. This it would explain a lot. <laughs> Excuse me, I cannot see uh, George W. Bush as the star child who has been carefully bred for um, whatever it was. I mean, I he mean, didn't do a very good job of bringing on the apocalypse. Well, yeah. You, uh, sloth, uh, sloth is, is a great sin. It, it prevents so many of the others. <laughs> this um, comes down to Barbara Bush's mother. Pauline Pierce was indeed in Paris in 1924 at the relevant time. Yeah. She was indeed moving in Crowley's circle. On the other hand, Crowley kept a diary that pretty much records everybody he slept with. It's quite a big diary. Yeah. And she's not in it. So what we're looking for is a hidden diary of Alistair Crowley. The secret sex diary of Alistair Crowley. <laughs> Though... I think there's a publishing contract in that. <laughs> The, the book, the, the 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 secrets Alastair Crowley did not dare put down in his normal diary. Ooh. <laughs> the thing that occurred to me from this, I mean, yes, it's easy, it's easy enough to debunk, um, but it's it's a lovely example of how easy it is to draw connections between people if you start poking a bit. Yeah. Um, that there are some people, and Crowley is a good example, who who just seem to have met pretty much everybody at the relevant time. Uh, Sigmund Freud is another one. Yeah. Um, when he was active, there there simply weren't that many people who were significant in Europe in terms of having a lot of mm. power and influence and so on. And he moved in the circles where they were. So, so once you've met one, you tend to meet a lot of the rest of them. Yeah. So if you want to say Freud met X, you can probably find a plausible time when that could have happened. I'm just wondering at this moment in time, Roger, how, how much effort it would take to connect you and me to Alistair Crowley, let's say. Hmm. Well, I don't actually have a lot of my family history in detail, so... Yeah, right. <laughs> but right. but he, he lived in so many places that uh, there's, there's probably some overlap somewhere. All right. All right. Uh, he, uh, let's see. During during the war, he was mm, in the same suburb as, um, yeah, my grandparents. Uh. <laughs> yeah, well, look, it's it's the it's the five degrees of connect of connection thing. You can, uh, and as Ken Hyde keeps showing, you you can connect anybody to anything and uh, riff off any really neat ideas um, on pure historical coincidence. Yeah, I, I'm make it work for you. Yeah. If I ever become famous, then I'm sure I'm sure that there are large numbers of people up and down the country who say, "My God, that's Mike! What's he doing out there?" Actually, that happens when I just mention that I do a podcast with you. My ego has just swelled to overfill this room. Now, the sound you can hear is my ego rubbing against the sides of the house. Ah, thank you. That's 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 very kind. It's a Christmas present, right? I'll get a pin. Let us move on. Here at Dragon Meets to talk with film masters. Hello. Something of a uh, fixture of the British role playing scene since, well, Forever. White Dwarf. Um, White Dwarf number 20, was it? 2021? 20, yeah. Dunge Dungeons and Dragoons. Dungeons and Dragoons, White Dwarf 20, yes. Which I always looked back on as a fairly terrible piece of juvenile work, and then somebody told me this was possibly setting the first inklings of the historically based role playing concept. And I looked at it again and thought, gosh, I was clever. <laughs> <laughs> I looked at it again and thought, no, not that clever. But, yeah. but then um, Kingdom of Champions was, I think, the first book. That was the first book, yes. So where did that come from? Mainly talking to, well, I was doing articles for things like White Dwarf and doing yeah. articles for Adventurers Club, which was the uh, Champions Hero System House magazine of the day. Mm. And I said to the editor, would he like an article on superheroes in Britain? And he said, we thought, we'd be sure you could probably get a book out of that. Mm. And he was right, because it came up to 200 pages, which was probably setting these scenes for my overwriting for the rest of my career in the industry. I think this, this was the era when a role-playing source book about Britain was an unusual thing for a role-playing. And one, one written by an actual British person was even more unusual. I still mm. remember what they did with Twilight 2000. But <laughs> Yeah, there were, there were some... There were mixed results back then in terms of we we had a few British people in the British people in the industry. There were then, there uh, were some a, a really quite quite impressive number of GURPS books, many of which I seem to have run campaigns out of. Um, <laughs> Sorry about that. Wasn't intentional. <laughs> it, it wasn't. It was just complete. This is an interesting thing. Oh, it's written by Phil. Uh, mm -hmm. 
But the, the, the official excuse for um, chatting with you, insofar as we need one, is um, small folk. Indeed. Uh, which you brought out earlier uh, this year. Uh, February, I think, this year, when I actually finally got it, finally got it uh, officially launched. And we finally got all of us in the same place. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, think, I think you said it started as a chapter in, a, in another book that ended up not being published. Oh, it was published. Uh, oh, okay. Yes. Um, okay. Guardians of Order, this was been, I think, 2005. Mm-hmm. Uh, Guardians of Order, who were the one of the significant second-string companies of the time, decided to do an uh, urban fantasy book, Dreaming Cities. Which is probably still available if you dig through second-hand things on eBay. Um, yeah. uh, which was edited by David Palmer, who I knew through the GURPS work. And he got a, a... Part of it was a general section on using their tri-stat system, which was their generic rule set mm. for urban fantasy. And then he said, and can we also have chapters on... Reasonably chunky chapters detailing settings. And the small folk was the one I wound, I wound up doing because he, he knew me through GURPS, so he came to me and said, would you like to do a chapter for somebody else completely different? Uh, so I... Uh, that one was written, uh, was released, was moderately popular. Didn't get me paid very much, because Guardians of Order proceeded in the fine traditions of the role-playing industry to go broke. Um, killed, killed by the strong Canadian dollar, among other, other things. I believe that was said to be the, the, a large part of the problem. Um, being but a role-playing company is probably a bigger part. But, being a role-playing company run by people who are role-playing enthusiasts as opposed to businessmen. Because businessmen make more money doing something else. And having to um, sell in Canadian dollars and buy in American dollars. Yes, it yeah. wasn't, wasn't a recipe for huge success. Um, but I, Which meant that, because they'd gone broke and, the, and they had literally paid me very much for the chapter, the uh, rights reverted to me. Mm-hmm. And I spent some years thinking, I've got this manuscript, that, well, word file, uh, that I could do something with. Why don't I do something with it? And eventually I, I did something with it, which was converted it to... Um, a version of the fate system. And Any particular reason for choosing fate? Uh, I'd given up on the obvious idea of doing it to the GURPS thing for all sorts of technical reasons. And well, it's, it's not really the right flavour. It's not really the right flavour. Um, apart, from, apart from anything else, as I understand it, if you want, if you want to publish a GURPS book, you, it needs to be published through SJ Games. Or, or um, pay them some complicated licence, which yeah. has been done once or twice, but not very often. And yes, doing it as a GURPS book would have required. I come to the conclusion doing it as a GURPS book would require writing the GURPS very small characters rules. Um, yeah, well, I looked at those. There, there is a guy who's do, who did that for third edition. It is a labour of love, and it is huge. Yeah, and I. There's something wrong there. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, so uh, I sort of looked at that and thought about putting a proposal in, and then I looked at what would actually be entailed, which would be far larger than the work needed to convert specific mm. small folk stuff. And I just came to the conclusion it was not, not something I fancied tackling. Uh, whereas I said, right, well, okay, there were lots of people, this being the early, t- early 2010s, there are now lots of people who, or lots of groups of people who have released uh, games under public domain licenses or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I looked at those. And one of the first I looked at was Fate, and I thought, yes, I can make this work. And being lazy, I stopped there. Um, mm-hmm. And went away and found a version of Fate. Free Fate, which was rattling around online in version 0.6, which never seems to have been updated, so I presume it wasn't considered a major thing itself. And hauled that over, check, double-checked the text wording of the license. Yes, I can convert this. And because Fate is much more about a sto- much more of a storytelling system than a, mecha- than a mechanical simulation system, yep. um, doing very small people who possibly rather bend the laws of physics and biology all over the shop. Um, because that's what very small characters, humanoid characters, logically do, uh, wasn't a problem because nobody was worried about the laws of physics or biology in this system. Yeah, I, I should perhaps interject. A, a as a, as a um, potential conflict of interest, I, I was a reviewer of the manuscript. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you say nobody was interested in the laws of physics, I did, I did go to a lot of trouble to find out the exact breaking strength of spider silk to see if it would make sense <laughs> as, climbing, as a climbing rope. <laughs> Well, yes, this is what happens when you recruit GURPS players as your players. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the end result is, yes, you could use it as climbing rope. Right? Yeah, indeed. <laughs> and you probably have spider farms. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, uh, I'll come back to, 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 to the, 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 the debate about um, storytelling versus uh, simulation later, maybe. But um, what's fun about it? The fun thing is, I, I hope, that... It's the it's the classic small folk wainscot fantasy, mm-hmm. small s small f, small folk wainscot fantasy set, set up. The borrowers, the borrowers. It, well, that, that that's kind of a starting point. I started when I, when Dave Palmer approached me to do the Guardians of Order job. I, on the one hand, I started there. I thought urban fantasy, 
let's look at this. He's got people doing other sorts of urban fantasy. Let's mm -hmm. look at a version that perhaps hasn't been treated very often, which is this borrowers, um, truckers. truckers. There are others, but those are the two. There's my two reference points. Um, and then I thought, well, the trouble with that is you're about, it's about playing two or three very small people rattling around in the undergrowth, getting jumped on by cats and having very minor adventures. And um, so what was Burroughs was a minor success for Gerbs. Yes, that was a while back. And um, so let's have a look at the let's have a look through. And so my other idea with that, well, it's an urban fantasy book. What do I know? What do I think of as urban fantasy? Book? What's been successful in urban fantasy? How about a large number of groups of beings of a very similar kind who all insist that they're very different from each other and who have slightly distinct powers that nonetheless manage to overlap a lot and they can pinch from each other mm -hmm. and uh, who engage in huge amounts of extraordinarily petty and stupid politics. So we're saying that this is Vampire the Satire. You said that, Michael. I didn't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, 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 that remark was not attributable to film masters in any form. No, absolutely. Though, though it is in the manuscript that the social groups that, that, that these creatures form are called cliques. Well, yes. Um, so... You've got the miserable ones. You've got the miserable ones. Uh, you've got the business-like ones. Mm. You've got the technical ones. Of course. Um, you've got the... Well, I, I, to be honest, I, I, rather than looking direct at any other publisher who shall remain nameless, what I actually did was looked at um, popular street fashions, which is what other publishers rip off. Yeah. And so I said, right, well, okay, you've got the, the, the geeks mm -hmm. and the uppies. And the um, so let's have the old hippies, <laughs> and let's have the crusties who all walk around with mice on string, mm. and um, I'm now trying to remember oh, and the, the miserable ones who are of course, who of course wear black and have their hands stapled to their foreheads and <laughs> <laughs> and so on and so forth. Um, and I'm trying to remember what the others were. I did. Uh, Terribly embarrassing, and you can't remember all the jokes you put into your own book. But uh, essentially, I went down a list of popular youth fashions or something, or, or as I understand them, as a middle class, middle aged person living in the suburbs who uh, goes away and reads the paper and gets his ideas about youth fashion from that. So, broadly, while you can play it as a serious game, it is not written completely deadpan. Not completely. Well, I might think it's actually quite deadpan, really. <laughs> <laughs> and. Having got these uh, these multiple factions, kind of sort of tiptoe around the whole subject of the ones who wear baseball caps backwards and spin on their heads a lot and so on, which potentially deeply embarrassing and has probably raised a couple of eyebrows even even after I finished carefully working on that one. Mm -hmm. Sort of sat down and uh, glued those together, and that gave me a, a set of social factions, which in, the, in which gave me role playing hooks and also gave me the options for um, special powers because I then tied those back to the. Um, traditional ideas of fairy folk, small folk, whatever. Mm -hmm. So the yuppies are actually brownies who, having spent the Middle Ages being terribly helpful and making people doing people's housework for them, have now actually decided to get into profit. And so they nonetheless have the ability to do ten times as much work as anybody else. But uh, they charge for it. But they'll charge for it, yes. So, um, so you've not only got you've not only got sneaking around with in a world full of big chumping mm -hmm. creatures with more stuff than you have. Which you steal, of course. Uh, but you've also, but you've, you've also got attempting to uh, come out top in the in the political political game, and because the smaller a political uh, faction is, yeah. the more seriously it takes itself. And the squabble over access to the rubbish bins in a, in a public park in a, in a small English town is going to be absolutely lethal. Yeah. You also you also were in a bit of mythical Britain sort of feel to it or I'm misremembering uh, well it was really a question of looking at the sort of mythology about the primary source was all the historical uh, traditional views of, of small folk of, and fairy folk of all sorts but you've got magical beings you've got them you've got a sort of urban fantasy hook to it uh, so he's putting in the occasional joke about trying to find the, the there's a suggested campaign framework where you're trying to find the old lords of the Seely Court mm. that reminded me of Neverwhere a bit yeah, you're going to get a bit of that, or you're inevitably going to get a bit of that. You've got Wayne's Cop fantasy has got certain built-in tropes when you look at it. And yeah. It's kind of like... yeah, it's humans aren't so much the enemy as, as to be as you don't want to come to their notice. Indeed, but but there are things out there that, that do quite specifically have it in for you. Mm. And you can have they have the option of intersecting with with humans as the idea that human magic, traditional human magic, may all have been about enslaving small folk or at least getting doing business deals with them. And so. <laughs> You occasionally get to talk to. You might occasionally get to talk to humans who you then have to 
persuade not to mention you to other people, or at least tell them, point out to them this would just get them called loonies. And, uh, and then tying a few other ideas in, in with all this, like the basic idea that um, you have to explain why small folk who are, are mortal are not periodically discovered in two-dimensional form under people's shoes. And so the idea, the, the idea I came up with for that was that they are figments of the human imagination. And hence they have an absolute excuse for behaving like human stereotypes because they're a product, product of human, <laughs> human fantasy. And, Do and they know that? They're vaguely aware of it, but they're, they're cynical on the subject anyway. They're too busy dodging cats and beating each other up. They worry too much. And they, they do know that they dis they disappear in a puff of greasy smoke when they, when they get killed when they get killed, which explains a lot about how they never actually detected. Makes funeral customs much simpler. It does indeed, yes, it's much less depressing. You know. What happened to Granny? She evaporated in a puff of greasy smoke. Now um, let's all get drunk. Yes, <laughs> which is much more. Yeah, and you said that this was uh, this is I've read it um, a very story uh, focused and, and system like thing. Is that something you're doing more of or enjoying more or what? It's something I probably ought to do a bit more of. I've got, as, as Roger said, uh, I've been a dedicated GURPS author, a fairly dedicated GURPS author for years. I've been in a group which plays mostly GURPS, to put it politely. Um, <laughs> occasionally other things. Occasionally. Uh, and you know, GURPS is, it, I, I like GURPS, and I'm, I'm a simulationist by nature, but mm. uh, there is this idea, I, I do think there are, the idea of, Simulating the structures of story rather than, than simulating the, the structures of real-world physics has its has its charm, and uh, I probably ought to tinker with it a bit more. I, I played in your um, in some of your demos of the upcoming uh, Discworld thing. It strikes me that um, though it is it's GURPS mm -hmm. and it's it's using all the GURPS systems. It's using it in a fairly light way to to simulate the the way the stories work in. And mm -hmm. uh, and that and that it's a sort of hybrid, it's becoming a sort of hybrid. I suppose a bit. I've always well, felt... maybe it's just the way you run it because you're the only person running it at the moment. Yeah. It, it, I suppose a bit. Um, my own feeling is that Gertz is it, it's an old it's an old thing about Gertz players. It's a toolkit, and you don't actually have to use every tool in the kit. Yeah. And when you're using the toolkit to simulate this world, which is explicitly about the nature of story, mm. a lot of the time. Then a certain amount of meddling around with the story, yeah. with, with story ideas, has to be part of it. Along with the fact that if I'm running demo games at conventions, I do have to get them wrapped in a reasonably satisfactory fashion inside four hours or so. And, <laughs> and, yeah. and yeah. that means rather than going through all the mechanics of you get home, you get paid, you go shopping, it's uh, well, you get well. Of course, you'll get home, and there'll be people cheering on the on the pier for you, and then you'll one of you will leap nimbly off the boat, put strike a pose, and roll dice not to fall in the water, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. It, this world, it, this world imposes a certain amount of story. Story assumptions to it. it. It's it's a light physics engine. It's 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 light use of a physics engine. But I think that doing this world properly involves still having having a degree of respect for physics. Mm. Yeah. So just in terms of other other things you're up to, um, mm. that that's obviously one. Um, for Biotech Twenty One Hundred came out recently, which is. A, a, a book for transhuman space. I think people weren't really expecting because it, it's not just another list of templates, which is what people. Well, we've done. All, we've done. We did the full list of templates. It has yeah. the last the last remnants of the templates required to convert all the, the uh, third edition mm -hmm. transhuman space to fourth edition. On the, on the other hand, I can, I can see in it clear trace of some of some of the arguments people have had on the um, SJ Games Transhuman Space Forum. Trace um, <laughs> <laughs> the point. Um, yeah, I mean, why, why do people have, have these um, bi biological robots when real robots are obviously so much cheaper and better? Mm. I mean, the answers to a lot of those questions were actually sort of scattered through the, the Transhuman Space books, but yes... Yeah, but the, clearly people haven't always found them. Indeed. Um, biotechnology is, well, it's hideously, it's hideously complicated. There was a recent XKCD uh, cartoon, which I imagine Roger can find a link to when this get, goes out, which is all about how you know bio, bio, biology, biology is easy. We track the genome, and therefore we just have to uh, interpret the code. Have you looked at sort of the code that underlies the Google front page, and that's that's optimized for a single job over ten years, as opposed to being optimized for multi-purpose jobs over billions of years? No, biology mm. is not simple. Mm. Uh, there's a little bit of an implicit assumption in transhuman space that biology is simple, or at least it's been tracked. Uh, and that actually generates interesting questions about the background, which people kept raising on the discussion boards. And uh, so the, 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 this book was basically, so I don't have to go over that conversation on the discussion boards one more time. 
along with a lot of story ideas and background ideas and why your character is extremely embittered at other people ideas. The, the, the thing that particularly jumped out at me is that it's not so much here, here is an adventure seed, it's here is the sort of thing that people who think this way are likely to do. Mm. Which in turn generates adventure seeds because they do it and you don't like them, or they do it and you're with their friend. Or... Uh, indeed, I, I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, the yes, I mean transhuman space is a a deep background setting that's supposed to generate adventure seeds from the background, and this is this is a continuation of that, I suppose. Um, whether it, whether its problem is that not enough people are going to extract the adventure derive the adventure seeds from the background is a, is a separate question, mm. maybe for another day. But yeah, that was the idea of Biotech Twenty One Hundred was. Well, to be honest, what happened there was the original idea was to do uh, what became Bioroid Bazaar, which was the book of templates mm. that hadn't been converted yet, the final book, which were all biological ones. So, uh, so, so the obvious way to do that was a book about biology. I don't like doing books simply of templates, and people, the company doesn't particularly like publishing them. They look very dry and clunky and uh, boring. So the thing to tie up with that was the concept of bio, biotechnology in the setting. By the time I finished sitting down to write that, I basically had two books instead of one. So, uh, was... so now there are two books. No, now there are two books. No. And two um, the, also, of course, you've been writing for Osprey. A couple of books for them. Um, that, yeah, that was interesting. That's just down to having a, a rep in the business, which occasionally generates generates more work when somebody actually emails you and says, I've heard of you, do you want to write a book for me? It's so, very nice when it happens. So officially, they're not role-playing supplements. Absolutely not. There's not a single role-playing statistical mechanic in them, but... Um, yeah, the first one, as I had this background for doing things like Kirk's Arabian Nights, was the Sinbad the Sailor stories, mm. which was sitting sitting down and retelling those by two or three copies of translations of the knights and, and make sure that you don't actually pinch words from any one of them too much. Um, retell those and then look at all the, the stuff that ties up to that. For example, all the, the treasures that Sinbad brings home and the bits of the world he apparently visits and where these stories would have come from and the whole question of the... Arabian seafaring on the Indian Ocean, which is one of those historical subjects that's fascinating. And yes, I'm sure you could get a, a role-playing campaign out of that. Either, either you are following in Sinbad's footsteps, or you are a realistic Arabian seafarer on the Indian Ocean role to not die of thirst. Uh, <laughs> and scurvy, and... They seem, well, I suppose they were starting from the Horn of Africa and arriving in India. They probably actually were okay for fruit supplies. Yeah. Um, scurvy doesn't seem to be one of these. And the other one I did for them, having written a whole book about Atlantis for Goethe, I then went, went away and wrote a whole book about Atlantis for Osprey, which was retelling Plato's version of it, and then thinking, well, this isn't actually a whole book's worth. Who was the next person who wrote about Atlantis? Theodorus Siculus, who wrote about a completely different place and a completely different bunch of people. Let's see if we can merge these. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing this for 30 years, I ought to be able to merge things. Just try to leave Donnelly out of it, yeah. Yeah, well, Donnelly gets a token mention, but... <laughs> and that one... I think that one make it, would be an interesting basis for a wargames campaign. Because you, are, you you have very, very fantasy wargaming campaign, but a subtle fantasy wargaming campaign where you are you are, you 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 are one of the hawk masked lords of Egypt who is secretly who, who is supposedly allied with Atlantis but is secretly working against them. You know, <laughs> role not to get captured. Um, yeah, those were books using the sort of background material I've been accumulating over the years, written for us. I don't know if I'll get to do any more for them, but it's possible. Research is fun. Indeed. Well, I've done all the research for those already, so I just have to go away and remind myself. And furthermore, I get colour illustrations done by people who actually change their illustrations when I point out they're wrong. Which nearly sent me into shock, I can tell you. I've been doing this for far too long. Are there projects on the, on the horizon, or are you waiting for the next email? Uh, at the moment, there's, a, there's some possible work which is not, technically speaking, a, a role-playing work, which I can't talk about because I'm waiting for the next email from them. Um, oh. There's, you heard uh, it here first. Yes, and if it meant anything at all, if that meant anything at all, you know far more about my work than I do. Um, there's, I suppose there's, there's there is another GURPS project which I can't talk about because it hasn't been announced yet. But it's um, it's it's a fourth edition project tied up to past third edition work, which can cause the GURPS addicts to go away and spend weeks trying to deduce what that must be. And they have been. <laughs> and they have been. Roger was in the playtest, so he already knows and can sit there looking smart, but. Uh, um, Feeling excluded here. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, Roger can whisper in your ear after that. Oh, no, no, it'll, it'll just cause a, an advanced shock to my bank balance. Um, well, it's only a PDF. And that one, that one should logically lead to a couple more PDFs for them when mm -hmm. it's done. And uh, possibly more work for Osprey. And there's usually ideas for, for GERP stuff rattling around in the back of my head. Which I, I really want to do work, do work yeah. for other people. 
talking to somebody on one of the stands here today who was saying, who, who was saying Phil, we pay, which is usually <laughs> the best way to get somebody to work for you in the role-playing industry. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if it's true. <laughs> I gather it is. He claims to be actually not only paying his authors, but paying corporation tax, which is for <laughs> British role-playing company run by a part-timer, suggests he must be doing something strange. Um, just to wrap up, um, as, assuming you have, I don't know, the, the blackmail on everybody in the role-playing industry, you have your choice of system and setting to write for. Oh God, that one, yes. Um, <laughs> well, the first thing I'd do is use my blackmail information to get the Discord book out, actually. <laughs> um, setting on system, ooh, good grief. Are we talking about a book that would cause me immense satisfaction to sell three copies, or are we talking about a book that I think would actually have a chance of being commercially successful? In the could, which could, which both, of you prefer? please. No, oh, um, I still don't know. Damn, I was hoping that would diddle things long enough. Uh, um, I don't know. There's... The modern transhumanist SF has been done fairly well. I wouldn't mind doing, if it came to it, doing Transhuman Space Second Edition, which would completely redo the setting. Mm. Basically, it would be uh, about as related as um, uh, as World of Darkness Two was to World of Darkness One. It would have bits in common. You would feel free to change anything you wanted to change, and there would be quite a lot of that. I mean, there are. Things in transhuman space. Well, apartment as it was transhuman space was started fifteen years ago. There is stuff that's going to be out of date in that, despite despite the best efforts to keep the near future fuzzy in the original books. Um, and that would be an excuse to do all sorts of modern modern SF things that would be uh, doable. Yeah. Uh, just for politeness, that would probably be a Gertz, that would be a Gertz project by, by the nature of things. Um, storytelling. I'm still dabbling with the whole storytelling system idea and how far I'd, I'd ever want to get into that. There's that some of the really serious storytelling oriented games out of there just don't actually speak to me enough. I look mm. at them and I think, no, I'm sorry, this is this is not attempting to be a player character, this is attempting to play somebody's idea of a character, which doesn't work for me, but it's purely mm. personal judgment. So I'd probably stick with I suppose the inevitable thing if you give somebody unlimited funds and opportunities and tell them to worry about sales would be to go away and actually to create my own role playing system or rather pay, pay a large number of other very clever people to do it for me because <laughs> I, you've just given me large amounts of money. For What's the point of doing things myself if I've got that? <laughs> um, but uh, And then using that for a whole bunch of stuff, attacking fantasy from different angles, which I always feel has been attempted and then dropped repeatedly over the years because people basically want the D&D. Things with swords. That would interest me more. What, what would the Phil Masters world be like? <sighs> I'm not such a fancy, such a, a dedicated genre fantasy fan as I have a strong image on that, but I think it would probably be more enlightenment and less medieval. Oh. Is is I mean I've had I've actually had at least one small thing the the GURPS, um, uh, Alchemical Baroque, yeah, right. uh, published in that sense. A game. So, so rather than looking backwards to the Golden Age, it's looking forward to the new Golden Age that we're trying to build. Indeed, um, with sort of alchemical silver cage-like craft for flying to the moon and having adventures there and stuff <laughs> like that, which is something I tried to dabble with with Alchemical Baroque. It didn't really have the, play, the, the words to play with, or the opportunity, the time, or the space. Um, there was a game back in back in the 90s which I always thought was a, a sad loss that produced one big book and a couple of small PDF supplements called Tales of Gargantia which mm. I'm probably the only person who still remembers that but it was I, I've heard the name I, was, I, I think I saw it on the uh, on the on the bring and buy store here today. Oh, good grief good heaven somebody go buy it quick I still have a copy which was is now the people who wrote that dropped out of the industry completely and God knows what happened to the license to that and it, but it had this interesting idea of you are sort of um, vaguely early Victorian, steam, vaguely steampunky adventurers wandering around with string guns and uh, some vaguely magical magical abilities which are either the sh- shamanic abilities of the people you're oppressing or they're the um, people who are born with, with disabilities and therefore turn into sort of early 19th century cyberpunks with, with some interesting te- technomagical powers and stuff like that. So this, is, this is going into 20-year-old games I never even played properly, but uh, it was the sort of thing that I always thought could have been done with role-playing fantasy and then died because the company because it didn't sell well, it never does. Which is why I asked if the my my, my fantasy project would actually have to sell because I know perfectly well it wouldn't. No, no. <laughs> if you wanted one that I thought would actually sell horrendous quantities, God knows there's, there's smarter people than me with better better business sense than me desperately trying to do that at the moment and for the most part not succeeding. I mean, 
probably buying a Cthulhu license and doing something with that if you really want to make money in the business. Let's, let's not argue about whether a Cthulhu license is strictly speaking necessary. Many people do that at great length. Yeah, I do that to them. I don't know, there, there probably are. I don't know, is, is there another writer on, other, other writers on the par with Lovecraft who haven't been exploited as competently? I don't, I don't know. It's, uh, mm. um, probably ought to be. I mean, well, apart from the fact that Lovecraft's pop, modern popularity is partly down to the role playing game having come out at the right time. Yeah. I, I, I've always felt that Donsanian lush fantasy is, is underrepresented. Probably true. I've, I've had I have severe difficulty getting through that because I don't have a 19th century reader's mind. But, <laughs> <laughs> I can't get through Dickens and I can't get through Dunstany properly, but uh, every now and again I dip it and enjoy it. I'm trying to reread Frankenstein at the moment and it's hard going. Frankenstein I managed, but then I managed that a long time ago. I probably have more trouble now. I suppose the other thing is steampunk has been ta tackled from various angles, but it, it, in terms of actually, yes, given there are steampunk, whole steampunk conventions which apparently make money and, and have large numbers of people arriving, oh. you know. Um, I'm a, I'm a happily married man, and therefore the idea of actually having something that would accumulate groupies wearing corsets and top hats is, is entirely not, not of interest to me. But um, it would can't help feeling it has that potential, it has sales potential, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, steampunk is such a, a, a diffuse concept that actually getting a hammering it into a, a game that would sell millions of copies would be an interesting yeah. project in itself. Yeah, a, a lot of people seem to like their particular corner and set of assumptions about what you can do and what you can't do. Yeah, so there's the hard, the hard tech stuff and there's the uh, what's basically fantasy with, top, with corsets stuff. And, uh, the, the second fantasy with corsets feels as if it should sell. Mm. Uh, <sighs> but but the, yeah, I'm not quite sure what, where the there there is. No. It, that, but on the other I'm hand, you've just given me unlimited funds, so... Um, and unlimited time. Indeed. So uh, Thinking of which we should probably wrap up. Uh, yeah. Phil, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for interviewing me. Look forward to what comes out next. Indeed. So do I. I'd like to go back to a topic we've covered a little bit before, which is the relationship of the passage of time to a role-playing campaign. Uh, my Wednesday night uh, game at the moment, as I've said before, is a, a 17th century rebirth of magic at the court of Charles II game. And we've been playing it for the best part of the past year. And having started at the winter solstice um, of uh, 1677, we are not yet out of January 1678. People right. are complaining about this. <laughs> I'm trying to move it forward. The next, I said, you've got you've got two weeks in which to, to get stuff done, and then the the conference with the French is on Candlemas Day, February the second, and uh, actually February the uh, February the second. So please get it all sorted. Yeah, Phil but, Master's Gloriana campaign, I think, lasted about three months in more than three years of bi-weekly play. Well, the problem, uh, and anyway, one of my players said to me that you could uh, you could do uh, 24, the role-playing game. And I said, no, no, that would never work. And then <laughs> I came away and thought about it. There, I'm more used, I'm much more used to having uh, games in which Time is not so tight, time is not so controlled, and I really wish I hadn't started the, this going the, the way it does, but events keep eventuating. Mm. And I, I'm more used to saying, right, it's spring, it's sea season, 1621, and the farmers are gathering in the uh, are gathering in the crops. It doesn't actually very much matter. Pendragon, you go, a year passes by. Yeah. Winter phase, and then... Winter phase is effectively just game mechanics, yeah. so you can push it a bit. Yeah. So, um, but I thought, could you actually do, would there be a point in doing a campaign where each session was an hour in, re in the game time? It would have to be, obviously, a thriller, a very tightly paced, the world is coming to an end if you do not get the, uh, the combination or find out where the bomb is or something. Yeah, though in terms of rules mechanics, you would need stuff that doesn't slow down. And combat is the classic example. In, in yeah. most games, combat takes longer to resolve than it does to play. 
um, in, in theoretically real. Well, yeah, an hour, an hour to a few few minutes, sometimes a few seconds. Of, yep. uh The problem is, can you keep the players to that sort of pace? Because play, you want you want the you want to say you've got to get this sorted by the end of the uh, of the evening. You've got to get that sorted by the end of the evening. Each each session should come in with a predetermined led into. Um, hurry up note. Um, yeah, I, I haven't watched 24, but I get the idea that you've got per episode plots as well as the yeah, big and, plot. Uh, uh, much overarch, overarching threads, but each episode there has to be, and in this hour something happens. Do you think yep. you could do that? The hard bit, um, I, I have players who, who love having extended discussions about things and, and working out <laughs> oh, what the all. plan should be. If you could make the resolution work at the right pace, and there are so many things in role-playing games which are either, okay, you drive for three hours uneventfully and then you get to X. Yeah. Or, right, we're now going to do this in excruciating detail because these these guys are action heroes who can think in a split second and you and you guys, with no offence intended, are not. Yeah, the, I think one of the things to do would be to pull it, as I believe Leverage does, and justify how they pull it off afterwards. Yeah, there have been a couple of systems um, for, for GURPS that do that. Um, basically, you, you build up some sort of abstract planning points, yeah. and you then play through the scene when it becomes relevant to show that scene. Yeah, there's a, there's a fair, I'm finding a fair bit like that in Knight's Black Agents as well. The, uh, uh, that, I, that I have to abstract the, the, the research, the digging stuff out, the making of the, of the IDs, and that, and that sort of stuff become points. This does tend towards flavourlessness a bit. Yeah, um, that that's also the problem that this would presumably have had to happen before the clock started. Yeah, unless you have spare minutes from previous episodes. There is. It's only an idea. I'm just, mm. I'm just throw, throwing it, throwing it out. Yeah, and I, I think it's interesting to look at how time ratio varies in games. I mean, yeah. My overall plan with the World War Two campaign. Yeah. Um, has been more or less. Uh, we we meet once a month to play, and I, I yeah. generally try to get through one month's events. Yeah. But sometimes more complicated things happen, or there's particular stuff going on that has to be dealt with, which is why it's now lasted about eight years, and we're, we've still got about two years of war to go. I think I said to you before that the TV series Mash lasted longer than the Korean War actually yep. did. So, I think it would be possibly something worth considering for for a one shot convention game. Yeah, um, where you do well, have a very strict time limit. It's it's easy to do as a LARP, as a yeah. as a uh, you're you're there, you have this much time, and 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 most LARPs have built in into it. This set event will happen at four o'clock. This set event will happen at six. By seven o'clock, we're going to we're going to to wrap everything. That makes sense, and it and it can be made to work. I think the f the further you drift off that fairly closely controlled model, the worse it's going to be. I and mean, I'm. Which, which is the classic Thulu campaign where basically the, the big conjunction is going to happen on a particular date. Mm. Um, and if your PCs are, are messing around somewhere else on that particular date and haven't found the clue to get them to the final confrontation place, well, too bad, the world ends. Yeah. It, and, yeah, it's not not really my thing. The One other thing that occurred to me, thinking about timing, was running a campaign where... The real world forces the pace in the game world. You go away for a week or two or three, and that amount of time has passed in the game world. Hmm. I'm, it's, it's purely an abstract idea at the moment. I don't have any, any way you could, could use it. But I've got a feeling there should be a way to say... Um, you've got to get... It, it, would, it would mean that you're meeting... At a climax point, and you're just playing the um, the the climax important points over the year, or whatever it, whatever it is. Perhaps a survival game in which you are, or or another, you are the leaders of the community game, in which time uh, time in the background matters. And if you've got a yeah. group that could could do a lot of stuff in uh, email and background preparation, then when you come around the table. Only the role playing and the the resolution of of the climactic moments yeah. matter. 
this would also be a good approach to take if, with, with a contemporary game that's being inspired by real-world events, because yeah. you, you then have an ongoing supply of real-world events. Allegedly. <laughs> if you can believe the stuff you read. I mean, Japanese ghost ships, really. Yeah, but it, it, it does vary all over the place, and it, it's the same, same in wargaming. There are, there are some games that take vastly longer to play than the original, because they're, they're dealing with you know, just a couple uh, an hour's skirmish somewhere. Yeah. There are some that are vastly shorter because you're dealing with multi-day engagements. Yeah. I think, yeah, you have to bear in mind the, the relationship of scale and detail to timing. Um, I'm not quite sure where I'm going with this, but I'm sure there are games to be dug out and games which would you could use the, the discipline of having a, a time a time a forced time set on it my uh, my current my current um dilemma with the with the uh, dawn of magic game is just my enthusiasm i like throwing in details i don't i like i like making the thing real and i may have gone a little overboard also if if you want to roll forward you're you're basically saying to the players you cannot interact with any of the stuff that happens during this roll forward and if you've got historical events coming up, then there may well be things they want to interact this with. This is true. Well, I mean, uh, the historical events are only uh, are already warped by the uh, events of the campaign. And but even then, you, I don't think you're going to be in the situation where, where they're entirely happy to say, OK, we're going to do nothing significant for the next six months or not come out of our well, labs. They or are, yeah, well, it's not come out of their, of their labs. Some of them really, really want to spend a fair amount of time in the labs. But I don't have a good system of resolving that out of game time by mm. post it's well some of it i can yeah tr- traditional levels levels of, of magician's concentration you you leave the lab and wasn't there a city outside when i was lost oh <laughs> <laughs> is there still coffee i, I tried to read a tree what was it called anath anath M by what's his name stevenson stevenson i didn't finish it but it's a lovely idea <laughs> Anyway, a book recommendation for somebody who only managed to get a third of the way through the book. <laughs> Let's move on. A few years ago, you couldn't go to a role-playing convention, at least in the UK, without finding at least one panel on the future of RPG publishing. Oh, uh, yeah. How is Kickstarter going to change everything? Well, Kickstarter has changed everything. What is the future of the future of RPG publishing? Oh, good grief, recursion. I'm looking at this because things seem to be splitting in a lot of different directions. You've, you've still got drive through RPG. Yeah. Uh, and Warehouse 23. And Bundle of Holding, bringing back all the... All the stuff that... Mostly fairly, fairly old stuff, but they, they have had a few um, reasonably current games that are still having things brought out for them. Yeah, um, it seems to be the, the place that th- things go to when they stop the f- not up having the first surge. Uh, drive-through RPG varies. Um, you, you've got stuff that's clearly laid out by one bloke yeah. uh, who isn't very good at it. Um, and at the other end, you've got thorough, um, thoroughly produced gorgeous art, all the rest of it. Yeah. I'm wondering what, what's happening in paper publication, because on the one hand you've got Kickstarters, you've got Pelgrain, Modifius, yeah. um, doing you know, things like the Dracula dossier. Um, uh, yeah. I, I've By the time you hear this it will be too late for you to support it, you suckers, you missed it, the Mindjammer Kickstarter, um, which I'll hope to talk about once it arrives. Yeah. But how often do these things actually end up in games shops? Do game shops even carry RPGs anymore? The ones I go to generally don't. Uh, I don't know. I'm slightly worried the about the health of game stores in general because let's be frank, there's the internet, and there are there are game publishers selling directly to the public. The game shops I know that are healthy, uh, somewhere like Eclectic Games in Reading, plug plug. Um, have demo space. I have you know, events every night. Yeah. You can go along and and pay a quid or two and play games, mm. sort of in the style of a board game cafe, really. Um, and then you then if you like it, you can buy it from them. And that that seems to me a, a, a practical approach. But it's is it really suited to role playing games where things may not even be in print anymore? Yeah, um, and you need a, you need somebody at least at least one person to do a fair amount of preparation. 
GMs do not get paid. It's a, it's a it's something that some of us are bitter about, and some of us are just resigned. Uh, well, it's, at some of the big American conventions, they do, but uh, it's, it's not much. Yeah. One of the things that inspired this segment was um, Phil Reed of C. Jackson Games saying they've got two hardcover books ready to go: GURPS Discworld and yeah. GURPS Mars Attacks, which right now they cannot profitably take to print. Uh, it, it's suggested that this basically means they haven't had enough pre-orders from yeah. from the distributors. So are they going to take that to... Um, it, it's already done. Yeah, the, these books are basically everything except actually sending to the printer is done. All the art approval and layout and so on is, is all... So why are, why are they not cutting out the middlemen? Why are they not saying, here, you, GURPS fans, can pre-order this and it will only go ahead if you pre-order enough? Yep. Or something else that smells like a Kickstarter, or indeed a Kickstarter. Yeah. It doesn't have to be Kickstarter. You can, you can yeah. run that off your own website, if you can do the publicity right. Well, one of the concerns that has been cited is that if they did... Well, OK, there's, there's some extra cost to get it ready for print, as opposed to... Yeah, um, PDF. Effectively, they could probably release as a PDF fairly quickly if they wanted to. Though there are technical reasons not to do that straight away. Um, but they're basically saying the, re the remaining costs are such that the project would lose money hmm. at the current expected level of sales. And not not only that, but then that then suggests that the next time somebody wants to do a hard copy GURPS book, that will be the example that they have. I mean, yeah. Yeah. OK, I, I don't know how big Mars attacks is in the States. I only know it through the pinball machine. But... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Collapse of start party. But um, Discworld, at least in the UK... Um, is pretty much the thing that you can slap on something and it guarantees it will sell. Yeah. And, 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 and okay, it's an American company. It's but... an American company. And um, but American sales of of Discworld, though not as solid as they are in the UK, are still are still a fairly substantial my ma ma maybe a majority of the geek uh, uh, communities. I would have thought. No, I don't understand. Yeah, I don't understand business. If I understood business, I would not be sitting here chatting to you, Roger. I'd be out there being wealthy. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm, I'm certainly not going to start trying to run a role-playing company at this point in my life. Yeah, I, I like having a house. <laughs> so what, what is the answer? And cl clearly Kickstarter is an answer. Yeah. Um, Pelgrone and Modifius have actual offices. It's not just one, one bloke in his, in his own house. They have staff. They're renting office okay. space. They've... they've one of, one of the suggestions is is that Steve Jackson Games is just too big because it, it now has you know a big personnel department and so on. Yeah, well, it has and, a lot and, of other projects. Well, yeah, but if if you if you can put X resource into a Munchkin product and get one return, or you can put the same resource into a Gertz project and get a much lower return, you're going to put it into the Munchkin project most <sighs> of the time. And it's I'm, I'm glad that Gertz is still happening, but I'm wondering whether whether if it was spun off into a smaller company, that's it, it might do better. Yes, that's the logical. The logical thought. It has happened before. There are not... It's not a great record of what happens to uh, game lines when they lose their original pub publishers. I'm thinking of Pendragon. Um, mm. Well, yeah, Pendragon is at least recognisably the same game. Yeah, um, I mean, it's, it's quite, still quite there, but others, it, ha it had... Quite a few others have had new editions where they yeah. changed all the mechanics and so on. And, uh, uh, and, the re and the well, I'm sincerely hoping that the rescue of Chaosium by Moon Design is going to save the properties of uh, Chaosium without without endangering uh, what, what Moon Design was doing. Hmm. But um, it's a very brave step for them, them to take. Maybe it's not. Maybe they can tell us, actually, this is a perfectly sensible way to to behave. I don't know. The danger is you get somebody who's enthusiastic um, and has some money and then goes and screws it screws it over and the, and the product becomes non-available and tied up in litigation and what, yeah. what have you. Enthusiasm for the product is not necessarily correlated with ability to get new stuff to market. It's true. The the thing is, GURPS is still producing, but it's producing in PDF mostly. Yeah, and it, it's strange that there are clearly people who are, are of the mindset that if I don't see it in my local game shop, it doesn't exist. And these are the people who say that GURPS is dead. There's generally at least one GURPS PDF per month plus pyramid, which is effectively a bunch of mini articles. Yeah, some, some months more. The thing is, it's not the big draw-them-in products. It's not... I do like a book in my hands. Yeah. I do like... I, I find... I've yet to find a platform, maybe because I'm not spending money, 
um, <laughs> which makes it comfortable for me to read PDFs other than sitting at the computer and, and doing my back note good. I suspect if I had something like an A3-ish touchscreen yeah. on which I could have multiple PDFs open, shove them around, sh grow and shrink them as needed, and stick bookmarks on them so I could flip between pages of a single PDF, or possibly have them open side by side, yeah. that that would start getting close. But the, we're, we're basically talking um, big table at the moment, yeah. and tens of thousands of pounds. So Yeah, quite the... And basically, I, what I want to be able to replicate is... Entrepreneurs out there, please listen to Roger. He knows what he wants. <laughs> so, some, something like the experience of being able to have a reasonably large desk with books on it. Yeah. And th there are some good PDF readers out there, but I haven't yet found one that is as responsive as a paper book that I can... You know, maybe I don't know exactly the page I'm after, but I can flip through a number of similar pages in fractions of a second. Yeah. And say, OK, it's that one. I suspect as my ageing eyes get older that I'm finding it more and more of a strain. There's, I will mention one thing I, I was going to say about um, Kickstarters is, is that I suspect some of the surge in Kickstarters at the moment is due to the ageing of the gaming population. Mm. People like me who are reaching retirement age and still have some money yep. and are lusting after the things we wanted in our youths uh, I'm looking especially at Chaosium's reissue of RuneQuest 2, which they are currently kickstarting, and they are throwing in every every little bit of RuneQuest Arcana, uh, a scan of the of the manuscript of the, of the first edition, a, a, a Greg Stafford scenario that has never seen light, light before, <laughs> and there are enough suckers. I have not quite yet reached my sucker threshold. <laughs> sucker threshold? No, sucker threshold. A threshold is what you keep the villains from the man from uncle in. <laughs> um, yet, but uh, it's getting close, I can tell you. Yeah, I think some, some at least of the bundle of holding things are like that too. I don't know how many people saw the talk bundle of holding and thought, aha, here is a game I've never but heard of. But you were one of them, weren't you? No, this is the game I had heard of. All right, go This on. is the point. I, I played talk back in the day when it was new. All right, sorry. And that, that, in fact, was what caused me to start the campaign before that bundle of holding came out. Yeah. Um, because I thought there were interesting things about it, and, okay, in my case, because it was an interesting game mechanical exercise to try to fit yeah. it into GURPS. But th there is definitely a nostalgia factor in, in a lot of Kickstarters I see. We are going to bring out the old book, just as it was. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've never really been into the retro computer gaming thing either, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the trouble with that, well, the trouble with the, the, the RuneQuest 2 thing is I've got just about all of that stuff. Honestly, <laughs> I was there the first time around, and I've kept it. Yeah, it's nothing good, Nick, but it's perfectly usable. Yeah, I, I've bought some. I've, I bought the Traveller um, before the Kickstarter thing came along, but the, yeah. the Traveller compilations of the little black books yeah. in larger black books, simply because I, I had lost or sold or given away yeah. most of them at various times. But yeah, I think what we're seeing at the moment, what, what I'd like to think of as second wave Kickstarters, probably third or fourth if you pay close attention, mm. is the things that are not just, we're going to bring out the old game again, but okay, we've got an actually genuinely new thing, but our, our principal per person or people have enough reputation that we, we think you're going to back yeah. us anyway. Mindjammer is an example of that, uh, Dracula dossier. Certainly, yeah. The Guide to Glorantha a while back. Stuff uh, that's not that, which wasn't just a, a a reissue of old stuff. It was a it was a bringing together, an agglomeration of everything just about that had been published and a rethinking. Yeah, and it was lovely for it. Yeah, I don't I don't know. The problem is the 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 form is, is the hump of economics, and the forms of delivery. I think there may be a new form of delivery, technologically based. It's certainly needed. There is certainly. Not just for our particular obs niche obsession, <laughs> but there is um, certainly room for a better way of delivering text than the uh, really quite wonderful things that we would have, have have gasped in awe when we were when we when we were young over, the, but the better than what we've got got at the moment. And I'm sort of hopeful that I'll live to see it. One thing nobody has standardised is links between PDFs. Yeah. How do you, hang on, no, go back. At, hang on, I, I said so, yeah, but I, that was as if I understood what you were saying. So I, I'm looking at GURPS Supplement X, and it says, see this rule in the main book. Yeah. There, There is no standardised way that you can have a thing you can click on, and it'll open that PDF no, of, the, of, of the other book at the right place. Yeah, root directories finding it. 
Uh, apart from anything else, it ne- means you need to have consistent file names, which nobody manages. Well, quite. Uh, my, my own file names in my own downloaded collection are consistent. But they're not the same as anybody else uses, and, they're certain, and the, the, the Warehouse 23 internal names that I downloaded them as certainly weren't consistent. Quite. Because they've changed at various times. Who? All right. So, so that's one approach. Um, one, one thing I keep meaning to do is just feed all of the GURPS PDFs in, into a PDF to text and then a search engine. So that if, if I'm looking for every occurrence of the word, I don't know, epicene. <laughs> okay, there probably isn't one. Encumbrance. Try encumbrance. <laughs> Um, then, then I can I can immediately say okay it's that page of that PDF that page of that PDF and so on yeah. maybe even a little bit of context. To my knowledge and the best of my memory, the word epicene does not actually appear in any GURPS text. I'm going to have to go and look for it now. You realise <laughs> it keeps you off the street. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know. I I think the role playing games shop is probably dead. I can see. Yeah, it's not. It's certainly not healthy. I can see shops using it to get people in. Um, and if okay, being fair, if you're D and D or your Pathfinder, yeah. you can still just put books in a shop. In a conventional bookshop, it doesn't even need to be a games shop. Yeah. Well, the the thing is, you I don't see how you could do something like a games cafe for role playing games. I wish, I I ideally wish that uh, that there was one, but I don't see. There's a fact that other than the the eccentric billionaire, lots of whom play, play role playing games. Let's be perfectly <laughs> frank, financing it. I don't see any way to make that a viable commercial package. There's a physical setup that makes it difficult. I and mean, if if you you can cram a bunch of people playing board games and th- things can get loud, but you can still basically play the game. Yeah. A lot of role playing games. Well, a a you need to be able to hear exactly what somebody's saying, and they're they're probably not not a trained voice projector. Um, but also, you, you try to get a bit of atmosphere, which doesn't work very well when you're yeah, I, in a small space. Uh, at, at Dragon Meat, I was running a game where well, it was basically seven tables in a room of about six people each. Yeah, it worked, but it wasn't great for atmosphere. Well, I have uh, at the, the Wednesday night club in Wickham. I have reserved the uh, separate room for myself because being oldest member, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, we 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 play underneath this huge portrait of St. Paul preaching to the ancient Britons. I can see that could give you a certain ambiance. Yeah, it's not... It, um, what it what it gets is sarcastic comments for, from my players about the artist's skill at painting St. Paul's toes, but... Uh, <laughs> anyway, I, yeah, I've got a feeling there's, there's, there is a, a step change out there I don't know what the hell it is. There are clearly people still prepared to pay not just for PDFs but for gorgeous, gorgeously produced books. Hey, I, I, I suspect I, there isn't a market for pe- of people prepared to pay for black and white books without that much art in them. Yeah, well, I, I bought, I do buy indie uh, RPGs, and that I, I, I bought a, a wadge at Dragon Meat. Mm, but indie RPGs aren't paying for their office space, are they? No, they're they're paying, barely paying for the printer's bills. I, I suspect most of the time. But sometimes it's the quality of the writing that you want. But if I'm going to... I want GURPS Discworld, Steve Jackson Games. I want GURPS Discworld. Go and produce it right <laughs> now. But just the PDF would not be the same. I'll take the PDF as well as, you know, as, a, mm. a, as a free extra. I'd back that Kickstarter. Yeah. I'd pr- I would do the pre-order thing. You don't even need to add any yeah, stretch I, 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 th- I think some some form some form of pre-order that says, in Kickstarter style, if we get this much by this date, then yeah. it happens. Otherwise, it doesn't. Fair, fair enough. I think that 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 ought to be the next step, the logical next step. Because that the other thing that that does is demonstrate in a public way that there are this many people pre-ordering. Yeah. And therefore, there's going to be a market for people who didn't hear about it and want to buy it later as well. You have to factor in things like uh, delivery and uh, and postage and things like that. But I suspect if you're doing it as a mass deal, I don't know, you might be able to, to do it easier. Well, Warehouse 23 is already set up for delivery and postage and Yeah, stuff. but not necessarily all over the world. Moon Design had... Uh, I'd certainly encourage d- them to drop ship into, into Europe. But, yeah. Uh, well, there are European, uh, there are European games companies who will do um, delivery on other people's Kickstarters, which is... Um, which is a way, a way to go, a network of regional distributors capable of doing things ad hoc. Um, 
Is that the word? Yeah, I, 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 I bespoke, do bespoke delivery. Part of the problem here is that SJ Games is you know, 90% plus sales to the US. It's probably 95% plus. Yeah. So they, they did drop shipping for Ogre Designers Edition, and that was great. Yeah. They didn't for the Cold Wars Arena's Kickstarter, which basically meant after customs and the collection fee, it would pretty much double the price of a box. Yeah, that's... But if they can, they 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 clearly felt they could they could do without the extra administrative hassle, and they could. Well, quite. But the the thing is, it for a few for a, games are becoming more a more global thing. Um, pe- there are people uh, on the boards asking, and does anybody know anything about the Japanese? Does anybody uh, role playing scene? Does anybody? I'm over there for a week. Does anybody know about Brazil or whatever? The people mm. people are selling games. And pl- are playing games uh, across the, across the world. English is still the primary language uh, for the hobby, though there's there's a French role playing hobby, which, as far as I can see, is entirely separate. Most of them speak English; the they just choose not, not to. The, the <laughs> academy would not permit otherwise. I wonder if they've got role role, role playing designers on the French academy, Academy Française, I should say. <laughs> One of these days, boys and girls, one of these days. The term le hit point is now banned. L'accumulation de ce... Hang on. Onward. Onward. <laughs> well, that was Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice, the last of uh, 2015. We will be seeing you in the new world. If you want to pimp your uh, latest role-playing publication and discuss uh, how your timing is holding up, uh, please contact us uh, either via the website or podcast at tekeli.ly. And we look forward to seeing you, as I say, in the new year.